podcasting from Chico, California, tucked in between some of Northern California's best freshwater fisheries. This is the Barbless Podcast, a podcast about NorCal fly fishing, guiding, fisheries management, and sustainability. If you have ideas or any questions for the show, leave the guys a voice message on the Barbless Podcast hotline, area code 530-636-2523. Also check out http colon slash slash podcast.barbless.co, where you can download past episodes and show notes. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at barbless.co and connect with them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash barbless.co. Here's your hosts, Chad Alderson and Nick Hanna. Fish on. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Barbless Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Alderson. I've got Nick Hannah with me as a co-host tonight. Podcast. <laughs> You're off to a stellar start as usual. Uh, hey, so tonight we've got all the way from Grass Valley. Nevada City. Nevada City, close, uh, is John Bayaki. John, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks. Well, thanks for coming down, man. Um, John has been fly fishing and tying fly since, he, since 1972, which happens to be the year I was born. So he's been doing this for uh, quite some time. So I bet we'll learn a lot tonight. Uh, he guides. He's a published author. He's an educator, an innovative fly tire, and an award-winning public speaker. Really stoked to have him on tonight. So, John, first question we always ask is, have you been fishing lately? Yeah, I was just uh, on the Yuba River yesterday. It was beautiful weather. Um, I usually get there pretty late because I want to play the dry fly game. Um, we had a size 18 uh, pink album coming late, off. like evening or late morning? Late is 11 a.m. Yeah. But uh, hatches are from about 12 to 2.30. And that's just because it's, it's cold right now? It was actually 72 there yesterday. Was it really? Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Well, that's, that's tepid. Um, so that's what I did yesterday fishing. And how did you do? Um, I hooked four, landed two. Nice. Um, there wasn't that many fish rising because the hatch was really light. Are they, so, are they little mayflies that were coming off? or uh, We had the pinkies, and we had PMDs coming off. Any squalas that you've seen out there yet? It's a they're, little early, but... The nymphs are starting to stage. The few that they're there yeah. are starting to stage on the sidewater right now. Cool. So, you know, as everyone's well aware, because I say it almost every episode, I haven't been fly fishing that long. So when you talk about staging, what are, what are you talking about specifically? Um, depending on the aquatic insect, in this case, it's squala stonefly. Um, it's going to emerge anywhere from end of December through end of February. So the nymphs will come out of their, let's say the middle of the river, and they're going to crawl towards the side of the shore, especially the squala, because it likes to crawl out, hatch on the shoreline, crawl under a rock with other squalas. It'll Mm -hmm. actually follow the pheromone scent that other squala stoneflies leave. Oh. And they have a big orgy under the rocks. <laughs> wow. And I didn't know that. Sounds like the grotto at Hugh Hefner's place. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know they actually followed pheromones like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. We're, we we had an ethnologist on, um, but we really focused on terrestrials. We haven't aired it yet, but we're going to have another one that's more aquatics-based. So I'll be sure to mention that. That's that's really cool. I'm sure they'll go into it. Yeah, yeah that would be question cool to one is to. how does a pheromone stick in the water? 
for me. <laughs> but uh, so, where did where did you grow up? I was born in San Jose in 1965, and in 1967, my dad moved everyone up to Paradise, California, um, with the intent to raise his family in a beautiful kind of forest fed, uh, forest setting, and also for his love of fly fishing. So that's where that's where you got the bug. And that's where I got the bug. So your dad got you into it. Yeah, in 1972. And how old were you then? Seven years old. Seven. Wow. Was Desabla around when you guys were there? Desabla Reservoir. Yeah. 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 Did you f- fish that in Paradise? No. So, okay, he started me in 72. In 73, I had game, so I could <laughs> go on a lot of trips with him. So we do the North Fork Feather. We do the West Branch of the Feather. Uh, Deer Creek, Yellow Creek, Upper Sacramento River, Truckee, wow. and then a lot of the little creeks in between all there. So do you remember much about Deer Creek back in the day, like when you were a little kid? You know, we a lot of people fish it now, and everyone you know knows that there's a lot of fish in there per mile, and they're, they're bitey, but they're really small. Mm-hmm. What, what was it like back then? There was no one around, um, and we used to fish the meadow section where you top out on Highway 32 before you get to 36. Yeah. And there was no fences there. Just that meadow yeah, area. Yeah, there was no yeah. fences. You could walk out. There's another creek there we used to fish, Guernsey Creek. Mm-hmm. That was really good. Um, the thing that was really unique and different back in the 70s was when we saw someone fly fishing, my dad pulled the car over and wanted to talk to the guy. <laughs> and it usually ended up becoming a, a friendship. Right. Um, it was really cool that way. That yeah. Cool. Now you're like, is this guy going to high hole me or low hole me? Let's just watch. <laughs> how, how about the West Branch? Did you did you like fishing that? Oh, yeah. It was great. Um, there were some pretty big brown trout back then. I never got any. Right. Um, both my brother and my dad each got a brown trout right around five pounds nice. below end skip at the bridge there. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, the, I know Lake Oroville had a pretty good population of brown trout, and we we're we've been wondering that, you know, if as as the populations died there, as you know, are they around in the West Branch at all? Or are they still in there? Were they you know, planted back in the day, like during that time? Is that why there were more? Or I couldn't answer that, but yeah. all these rivers and creeks were so good back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't about the fly pattern; it was about reading the water, getting a good presentation, hookup. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Well, uh, back to uh, Deer Creek really quick. Um, sure. in, in terms of like the size, did you notice they were, were they bigger back then? Or I would say back then it was twelve to fifteen inch fish. Yeah, and, and now if you catch one of those, you're you know like if it's not a planter because the planters are you know right. ten to thirteen, but if you get anything over twelve that's native, you're pretty stoked. Hmm. A lot of did you get any brookies up in that meadow up up in that area? Not that I can recall. Yeah, but that's a, still a big fish in that that water today. I mean, that would be a, a 15 inch would be a monster fish mm-hmm. up there. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I read your blog pretty pretty religiously every every week, when, and you typically post once a week. It seems like at least um, you write really well, um, and that's I think not the case for a lot of guys in this space. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think everybody puts you know their effort out, but um, you write exceptionally well. Thank you. Um, what what got you to that point? Like, did were you reading a lot of books as a kid? or I did you... read a lot as a kid, but um, it was probably in high school. I really struggled in other subjects, especially like math. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and um, I had this creative writing teacher, Mrs. Brazil, 
And um, it just kind of blossomed there. But as I went on with life, that kind of got hidden away. And then when I started getting really into trying to, you know, um, sell my business or just sell me as, you know, a guide, I started writing and it just came so naturally to me. Um, and it still does. Um, like Richard Anderson, I write a lot for him for California Fly Fisher mm-hmm. and, and I'll put it off to the very end and I'll bang it out in like three or four days. Yeah. And it's done. And he's like, oh, this is fine. You know, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> Surprised, you know, well, like, yeah, how did yeah, I yeah. do that? I, th- I think a lot of people's best work gets done last minute, to be honest, you know, kind of makes you really focus. You either focus or you fail, I guess. Um, so if, you know, for there, I know a few people that are starting blogs, right, uh, in, in this space. What, you know, again, I consider yours one of the better ones in this area. What, what do you think are, what are your like top four pieces of advice for anyone that's starting a new fly fishing blog or guide blog? Uh, first would be to dedicate yourself. Um, because if, if your blog is stale, you're not going to get a lot of followers. Right. Um, if, if that's your goal. Um, secondly, pick or choose really unique topics to, to write mm-hmm. about. Three, if you're going to do fishing reports, do them honestly and whether it sucks or it's good mm-hmm. you know just i think that's a, a really good tip and lastly just just have fun with it um don't make it a chore like the reason why i do it is i want to help the public out i want to help them out with fishing reports with product reviews whatever mm-hmm. i can do i mean i'm here to promote fly fishing not necessarily for the monetary means but because of the legacy my dad's left me, mm-hmm. you know, he was one of the founders of the Chico area fly fishers in 1972. Oh. So dad was always really into seeing new people come into fly fishing, learning the craft and having fun with it. Was he friends with the pals? The pal yeah. Oh yeah. Very, yeah. very close. And that's how you just mentioned your brother was. And my brother was Walton's of... apprentice um, in the oh. mid seventies. Um, Walton didn't like me. He would often chase me around with a broom. <laughs> um, he did that with women too, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was scared of the guy. Um, and then, um, you know, later on I, I got to know press before he passed away too. Did you know Larry, uh, Bluck? Yeah. 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 Nice. Larry dog. Larry dog. Yeah. Blucky. Bazooka Bluck is what we call him too. <laughs> Threw a fly line pretty good. So how, you know, how much time per week are you spending on producing your blog? Just out of curiosity, just so the, the guides or whoever is in, again, in the space that's thinking about doing it gets a realistic idea of what the time investment would be. Um, so the first thing I do is just fish or I guide and I mm-hmm. just get pictures. And then I get the best pictures on my desktop and I leave them there. And then I'll just sit down on, you know, on, a, on my weekly basis in the morning and just hammer it out. Sometimes I'll wait a day because mm-hmm. a lot of times when I rush things out, you'll get typos, which is totally natural. Everyone makes typos and you can always fix it later. Right. Yeah. So, so what you look, you know, stupid for a day, but anyways, um, I just kind of think about it in my brain. That's how I process things is I think about it, whether I'm driving, fishing, whatever, yeah. like how am I going to formulate this blog and what do I want to say? So when you, you shoot those photos, um, they kind of 
they kind of form your kind of loose framework for what that article is going to be. Exactly. Yeah, because when I read your stuff, yeah, it, it all flows, flows, doesn't it? It flows, and it's like this pictorial, but there's a story around it, and right. it and it's got a nice arc, and yeah, okay, that's cool. All right. Well, there's two articles that I wanted to bring up. Okay. Um, both are near and dear to my heart. Uh, one was your your review you just posted on the Echo Shadow Two. Yeah. I've got three of those rods. I've got two four weights and a three weight. I absolutely love those rods. Um, everything you said in there, I, I totally agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're killer rods. Uh, fi- Nick's fished with them too, and you know I've got a, I've got two because I just a lot of guys don't have high stick rods, and it's just cool to you know have them and go and right. not have to give up my rods so someone else can go do it. Um, we've been we've been getting a high sticking quite a bit this this year, especially super effective. Um, one thing I've noticed is that there's not a whole lot of like check style or, or tight line style weighted flies, point flies, if you will, on sale. You have to tie, and that's so it made me kind of get into tying. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on just high, just high stick or ESN or Euro Nymphine or whatever they want to you want to call it um, as a trend? Is it coming back? Is it is it a trend or? I think it's it's more in anglers' eyes now, but when I started in the seventies. That's all we had. Yeah. There wasn't indicators. And the rig was this off your fly line. It was two feet of orm, orange um, and amnesia, mm-hmm. followed by a seven and a half foot uh, tapered leader to 3X with one fly and split shot. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And we caught plenty of fish that way. With the whole European influence, now we have these really elaborate leader systems. The technique is still the same. But now we have just more, you know, like the ciders and all that stuff that mm-hmm. um, has really upped the game. And we have like the Echo t- uh, Shadow 2 rod that's mm-hmm. got, you know, the really soft tip on it that protects tippets. You can feel your flies bounce on the bottom a little bit but more. But still has a pretty strong backbone. Mm-hmm. Strong to, backbone. To and, and it, fish. I love that extension that you can just yeah, add like on to the it. competition and, kit, right? Right. And yeah. you, can, you can reach out so far. Yeah, and then you they've know. got the weights too for the butt section that you can screw in or off that that uh, the back end of that. Yeah, rod. I added three of those because I have a Galvin Rush reel on mine, which mm-hmm. is kind of lightweight, and I can hold that rod in my hand in the in the core candle. It's perfectly balanced. Yeah, that's with the line coming out of the yeah, tip. Yeah, it's a great rod, and um, you know if you try if you're high sticking all day with it like a conventional, I guess uh, rod, you're arm falls off at the end of the day and i just don't get any hardly any fatigue anymore at all mine still does but i switch hands yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> ambidextrous huh yeah 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 i um we've been catching a lot of fish that way so i'm gonna keep rolling with it well the other one that's related you know article that was related was the uh, the one you posted in back in november i think it was um it was called the last word on high stick nymphing right that was a killer article man that that like you know i um i've got some family that, or I guess my mom used to live on in Dunsmere and she was married to Ron Raven. And so she helped him on the, with the guiding service on the outfitting side up back in the day. So, you know, it just was really cool to get that history for, Mm. of, of Dunsmere. And then that PDF you linked to that Eric, I forget his last name. Eric Palmer. Eric Palmer. The guy did so much research on that. Yeah. I mean, that's why I named my blog post the last word because it's it's, all there. And I don't think people realize that a Wintu Indian figured out this technique in 1920 and was the original tire of the black bomber. It wasn't Ted Fay. He taught Ted Fay. 
It's a crazy, it's a, it's a very, very good article, very in-depth. We're actually trying to get Eric on. I've, I've had a couple phone calls with him. Cool. Slowly but surely, I think we're going to, I hope he, he, he comes on. Because I want to just retell that story on this medium just to get it out there even more, you know. It's, yeah, it's a I story think it, that needs to be in, in this format yeah, so it can reach totally. a lot more people. Because it's a pretty in-depth article. It took me almost 45 minutes to read, but it's worth it. You know, it's really, really, really good. And I'm kind of biased. Like, all I hear is Euro-nymphing and Czech-nymphing and all this stuff. And it's like, can't we call it Northern California high-sticking? High-sticking? Yeah, that's what I've always... I mean, that's what I if it was invented here, I mean... Well, that that's the thing. Like, I, I was just at the Truckee Fly Fishing Festival uh, like three weeks ago. And mm-hmm. Doug Ouellette, is that, his, is that how I say his last name? Yeah, pretty pretty close. Dago would would be sufficient, right? Dago, he was giving a, a demo um, about for high sticking, and mm-hmm. he said, "Well, like really, the only difference between a euro and check and all these others is is the presentation of fly. Whether it's if it's if you're directly if you're shooting it directly upstream and and kind of like fishing it back to you, then it's called Polish." That's what he said in the uh, in the demo. Oh, and I really? Like, oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's, so it's just these little nuances of presentation, I guess, but. Um, yeah, they all come, they all roll back right up to Dunsmere though. It's pretty crazy. I know. Super crazy. So where, um, where can the reader, where can our listeners find out more about the, the last word on high stick nymphing, especially the article that you linked to Eric's article? Uh, Eric Palmer's article can be found on Granite Bay Fly Fishers website. You will go to that. You will click on library. You will then click on archives. And you will see Ted Tawandali, short line nymphing by Eric Palmer. Yeah, and then in that, and I think in your article, you had, you had linked to, I believe it was Ted Fay on on the water, like it was a YouTube video. Did you? Was that? No, I don't remember video? that. No, got, I don't think I did. I ran that. across in in my research. Uh, I ran across this video where he's he's they've got him on the water and he's he's filming and he's like doing the high stick and he's sticks this fish he's like oh that was right in the snot locker (laughs) lands it bags it or lets it go it's pretty funny john do you do you fish a lot of uh do you high stick mostly when you're fishing the yuba or do you tend to go back and forth between it sounds like dry flies is your main gig so my why i moved down to nevada city was for the winter dry fly fishing Mm -hmm. um it's just really good and it's you know it's betas it's the squalas it's march browns PMDs, you know, the lower Yuba being a tailwater fishery is really a freak show. I mean, it doesn't follow your typical Sierra classic freestone right. as far as the hatches go. Yeah. Which One is, day it's on fire and the next day yeah, you're lucky to scratch a fish. It's a real moody river. Right. I want that in my career yeah. as a fly angler. Yeah. I want it challenges challenge. you every, yeah, every yeah. day. Yeah. So that if it's the dries aren't happening, you're, you're high sticking. You know, that's not really a favorable river to high stick right, on. Right. When I'm not dry fly fishing, I like to swing. There you go. Especially this time of year, we've got some salmon in the river. So I'm swinging alevins, or yeah. I might be swinging uh, a little bit bigger minnow, sculpins, or a black leech is another good swinging mm-hmm. um, fly. Uh, if, if I nymph, I'm going to put on the bobber because yeah. you can do really long presentations. Um, across and then downstream by, you know, bump feeding line out and watching your indicator go downstream. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite Valley rivers to, to fish. And I didn't even go over there this year. And I think subconsciously a lot of that was because all the fish I was seeing were like six to 12 inches. You know, the fish were super small, 
um, historically you get a really nice trout in that river with oversized fins is what I like to say because they are. When you look at those fish, the, the fins are like twice the size as a normal trout. That's uh, a great and, observation, and Nick. I've, and I've always known, I'm like, well, the, this river's fast, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a yeah. quick river. Jordan, or, Jordan Romney said they're, they're on a treadmill yeah, all, their, if all the cool, time. If you're so waiting it, you need to be careful because it'll knock you off your feet quick. But um, you think that's why? They just, they've kind of adapted? Oh, yeah. That? That's, yeah. That's a big river fact. When I cross the river, I'm a pretty light guy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard for me. Right. And people bigger and heavier than me are like, come on, John, quit being a wimp. It's like, dude, I can't even hold myself on the bottom of the river right yeah. now. You and know? you guys are talking mostly under the 20 bridge. Yeah. Um, from the 20 bridge upstream to around the UC Davis area. And then from downstream of the bridge all the way um, past Sycamore Ranch okay. um, campground. Has that river changed a lot due to the Yeah, the high extremely water? high water. It has changed so much. Yeah. Um, favorite spots are now gone. Right. Um, but you know, on, on the flip side, there's, there's new areas to fish now. Mm-hmm. Um, in the next California fly fisher, I'll have an article coming out. Um, it's called the Nuba river, which was coined by <laughs> Jordan Romney. <laughs> and I thought that was really cool of Jordan to come up with that. Um, and I just kind of compare the river like before and after and the changes that I saw. And, during all the high water, I was like so into all the changes on a daily basis. Like I would look at the graphs and I would take notes and I would drive down to the river and I felt like a war correspondent, like in the heat of battle. <laughs> yeah. It was a, it was fun, man. Yeah. I was, I think you were posting like videos on, on Instagram. Yeah. If I, if I can remember right. And you were, it was just, yeah, there's so much water moving through there. And you, if you drive over the 20 today and you look down there and then you re, you go back to when those high flows where you're just like, how the heck does that much water get down there and not do too much damage, you know? My last blog post, if you go on there, um, I took some Google Earth images below Sycamore Ranch and it's like a before and after. Mm. And oh, the river cool. totally switches from one side right. of the floodplain all the way over to the other side. But when you're actually on the river walking around, you'll see all the changes. You'll see the new slots and you'll see new riffles. And what I noticed is um, there were piles of gravel that were 20 feet high on the bank. Mm-hmm. They're not there They're anymore. Gone. They, They're yeah, gone. They're spread out. That much material moved down that river. Yeah, it's impressive. Hmm. Um, it's impressive the fish are still there. Did did the rock, did the... Uh, vegetation gets scrubbed, scoured pretty good. I mean, across the board, habitat-wise, for instance. Yeah, I got scrubbed pretty hard, but, you know, some areas, a, a few, you know, stragglers made it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that was my experience. Just going back to, like, the the late 90s and early 2000s, um, when we were fishing it, that, the fish were huge. You know, they were just impressive. Steelhead were being caught, and then that big – when was that? Was that early 2000s? You probably remember. Well, we had a big – Push in 97. Yeah, 97, 98. And we After had one that, in 05. 05. That's the one that I, I think had changed the river you know, dramatically. Um, we just weren't seeing the caddis come off like they used to, and, and the fish size went down. Um, so it's, it's just so much have changed on that river. I don't. I really think there's not a whole lot of fish the last 10 years in the Yuba per mile. Yeah. Then you factor in habitat loss, and that's why we're not seeing a lot of fish right now. It's not because of fishing pressure. Right. Let's, Bug life has kind of disappeared and it's that's coming back, you right. know, 
better than the than caddis, I anticipated. The caddis, the caddis hatches in the evening. That was a big one that right kind of disappeared too. Um, I just really think it's habitat loss there on that yeah. river. What what's what parts specifically are you talking about? Uh, I would say structure, holding water, um, woody debris. Like we need more trees and whatnot, kind of in the river. It's kind mm-hmm. of a yeah, a lot of a lot of runs are just straight shoots. Yeah. So the Army Corps of Engineers have had to place woody debris above the high water, so when the water does come up, it enters the system and creates more woody debris. But the last project they did was all logs, and those those went to the delta. They went all the way out to the ocean with these big flows. They need to anchor them down. Hmm. It needs to mm-hmm. stay there. This time they've added root balls, so we'll see if that helps i don't know that's um, interesting how quick of a turnaround you think that's supposed to happen with the, coming back with all the habitat coming back well i'm already seeing the bugs come back yeah um the rainbows like you said are still about eight to twelve we got a few 13s and 14s but right now they're kind of filling out so their girth is starting to match their length so that's really cool they're eating I think I think by this summer or maybe next fall, you know, we'll start seeing some cool some kind of normal conditions. How are the salmon this year and terrible. Ter- yeah. I mean sad, that's just gonna sickening, be sickening sad that's to me. That's going to be the way mm. across the whole valley for at least um, another couple of years. Hopefully next year it'll be a little bit better. And here's what I thought about too. It's like so we had all those high flows. There was eggs in in the gravel. And there was alevins out and just destroyed. Is this year's crop just done? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. do you fish much below a uh, Daguerre? I don't. No, I don't. That's a pretty neat, neat area. It's just, it was loaded with shad this year, which was kind of cool. I have saw you, that you, on, yeah. on social media. Yeah. It's like an aquarium down there. Pretty awesome. And just how clear that river runs. Um, yeah, it's really clear right now. Is it? Mm-hmm. Good dry fly then. Sounds like. For, you know, for some of the listeners that maybe don't have boats, uh, drift boats or any kind of pontoon boats, are there spots on there below the 20 bridge? Yeah, there's a lot of of access. There's a lot of access. In fact, when I moved down to Nevada City um, in 2008, I had a boat, but I was short on cash, so I sold it. And I'm like, look, I'll just become a walk and wait guide and my niche will be this. I can help people figure it out on their own or, or help them figure it out so they can learn all the access areas. Mm-hmm. There's numerous spots. There's Sycamore Ranch. There's uh, Hammond Grove. Hammond Grove. Yeah. There's the bridge on the north side. Um, and then you have Hamilton Road on the south side, which follows the river all the way down until it starts peeling away from the river. And that's if you're northbound on, on 20, you go over the bridge. Right. And, take and then your, it's that dirt road that just parallels, it goes up. You take Timbuktu Road mm-hmm. on your right-hand side, and that'll come down and it splits, and you want to take the left. Okay. I'm still wondering if some salmon will show up. There's been a few um, late-run fish kind of popping up in the south. Well, after so. our last rains, a bunch did show up, a bunch yeah. of new ones. And yeah. you know the... The Yuba has more newer side channels to them. And um, are you guys familiar with Circle, the organization? Mm-mm. South Yuba River Citizens League? They're probably the lead um, agency that's helping the Yuba right now. 
and they really want to see more of these side channels um, come into play because that's where every they, side channel I've seen, that's where the salmon and yep. that's where the steelhead spawn yes, in. They're doing that on the sack now too. They're trying to restore that those side channels. I saw that right. article that was in the uh, Chico State. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Well, maybe so. Maybe some steelhead will will pop up. That, that's been another absentee species in that river mm-hmm. for a long time. So hopefully we get some of those showing up again. Do you ever fish the tribs of uh, the Yuba, like the? North Fork and I guide on the North Fork. Okay, um, particularly from end of June when I'm done with still waters like Lake Davis and Frenchman Lake. Mm-hmm. I'm on the North Fork until September 1st, uh-huh. and a little bit afterwards too. And I like it because it's so good for beginners. Like they're gonna catch fish. Mm-hmm. It's not a question if they're gonna catch fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's short cast involved. It's a gorgeous, beautiful watershed. One of the most beautiful in a lot of all, granite rock. Yeah, and, like boulder hopping yeah. and pocket water. Pretty cool stuff. Dry fly fishing only, or you, dry dropper all day long. Yeah. Do you fish mm. streamers in there? Or? Um, early season, way down low um, by the campgrounds. Mm-hmm. If the water levels will allow it, I'll nymph, and I've caught my bigger fish then. Do the temperatures mm. get pretty warm on that river? Or? They do down low. Yeah. So in July and August, I'm up near Sierra City and above because that's where all the cold springs come in. Springs that bring in 42 to 44 degree temperatures. Wow. Pretty chilly. Yeah. And, you know, when it's blazing hot in August, that's fun being in that water. (laughs) Right? Right? (laughs) Yeah. You deal with a lot of people um, swimming and tubing or... Where I go, we don't see people... This year, I think we maybe ran into a half dozen anglers the year before. I did 38 trips. We never saw another angler. Because awesome. I like to drop into remote sections where once you get in, you're committed for four hours so until when, you can get mm, out on the highway. You mentioned being there in June, right? That's kind of when you start. Uh, ju- July and August. Yeah. So the high water has gone down. And do people kayak the North Fork? Is that a. I. They do. Yeah. Um, I think they like it a lot higher than right. when, when I, we like it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yes. it's. I lived in Montana uh, for a year, and guys were talking about kayaking the middle fork of the feather. They'd come from all over the nation and come down and, and kayak that wild and scenic area. That's like, the narnar. I was like, that sounds crazy. Are you, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, we, we lost paddles. We had to hike, you know, hike mm-hmm. our boats out of this that middle of this like canyon. Fun. I know, right? <laughs> Curtain Falls. I mean, that's a big drop. So yeah, it, it sounds like it is pretty famous for that. And then what? How how big, average wise, slot wise, are the fish you're catching on there? On which the middle or the north? The north. Sorry. On North Fork Yuba, they were a lot smaller this year. They were like four to nine inches. Um, years prior, you might get up to twelve. Further down in the watershed, you're going to get a little bit bigger, bigger fish, fish yeah. but I, I read a lot of these books that were written maybe 10, 20 years ago on the North Fork or, or even longer, and their average size in there is much bigger. Hmm. They're saying, you know, 12 to 14 with the occasional 16. I don't see that. Hmm. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like the Middle Fork Feather. There's so many fish, but so little of food. So you don't get a lot of big fish because there's too many mouths to feed. That's another. You said you grew up fishing that? 
that river, right? The Middle Fork? Um, I, I, I grew up fishing it, but really when, when I moved back for my snowboarding career from Breckenridge in 96, I came back to caretake for my dad who was battling cancer. I opened up my guide service in 97, and that's when I really just hit the Middle Fork a lot, and, and it was so good back then. And now it's not that good because there's there's like six golf courses in a 10-mile radius, and you know what golf courses do to rivers? There's a lot of inflow of nasty stuff coming in. Hmm. Um, with the Middle Fork, there was never summertime algae. Now there's like a carpet of it. Hmm. So it's sad to see all of our rivers in decline. I'm surprised. I, I'm surprised I'm not working closely with just Department of Fish and Game or whoever it is to monitor that and you know keep chemicals that are going to have an impact on on the river out of there. Yeah. Or, so you're implying that there's runoff that's got fertilizer in it, or, or past some sort of herbicide, pesticide, correct mix c- yes. cocktail that's going yes. in. Yeah, that sounds like an mm. issue. That's why I fish more than I golf. <laughs> so you feel good about yourself yeah, yeah, a little your, bit is that, your, is that you doing your part for the environment <laughs> no it's just there's better things to do in the winter yeah. months of the year and yeah yeah swinging a little golf ball so john you used to live in in Truckee in the 90s and or 80s i should say and you used to guide there how what kind of a fishery was it back then so i wasn't actually guiding then i was actually um director of snowboarding at Boreal for a few years before I turned full-time professional as a snowboarder and I would fish the river and there just wasn't a lot of people there. Like I didn't even fish the little Truckee back then. I was just totally into the Canyon wow. um, because that's what was shared to me by guys like Frank Prashoda and uh, his buddy Dick Cannon. And uh, I, d- I didn't even really fish Glenshire. It was just all mm. about the Canyon. And honestly, I never saw that many people out there. Yeah, and they uh, I just I just discovered the canyon this year and it's pretty cool and they're putting a bike trail through there right now so yes. the access is a little easier to get to. Yes. Um, unfortunately when I the last two times I've been in there it's the water's been a little high so it's been a little challenging like edge edgy but um it's it's beautiful in there. I wish I could time travel back to a couple of these rivers and see what it was like. No like doubt. Saying, huh? Like no, nobody was fishing there. I mean it just oh man how good the fishing was in all these places. It's been incredible. Yeah. In the seventies, when I fished the Truckee, um, my parents were very good friends with another family and they shared a cabin right downstream of uh, Squaw Valley. Mm. And that's, so that's, the that's when section, we, right? yeah, that's when we just fished on the 89 and it right. was so good even back then. I mm. mean, and of course there was no one fishing. <laughs> Everybody was shredding. Yeah, there was really no, there was really no people. In fact, the cabin we stayed in is now gone. When they widened eighty nine, they took out all these little chalets, these like little small chalets that they had there. And then we had a drought, and everybody that was snowboarding is now fly fishing. And it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna switch and go the other way. Now, is <laughs> Good there, call on that, man. <laughs> is there a certain time of the year that you guide the Truckee? Yeah, I would say springtime. Okay. And with our high water last year. It was a lot of fun to teach people high sticking and how effective it is. And we did really good. And the thing I learned about the Truckee with high water is that's when the big boys come out to play mm-hmm. because they can get around the foods there. They have no problem. The other times I, I fish are in the little Truckee. Um, and I'll do that 
a little early season, but in July into August before it gets too warm. And I do that for my older guys that really can't get around too well and give them a little bit smaller watershed to work with. Cool. cool. I like it. Well, I know you also guide uh, Lake Davis and Frenchman's Reservoir. And, yes. And Ooh. Nick's been waiting to talk about that. So, well, Nick, I just I remember hearing let... stories about Jay Fair. You know, he used to. Do you know Jay of Jay? Very Fair? well. Yeah. He taught me a lot. Did he? Yeah. So he and I haven't fished it that much, but um, some of my buddies have, and they kind of described it as you know bone fishing freshwater. You know, like where you can get out on the bank and sight cast with damsels to these you know big trout kind of close inshore and obviously it's a little bit shallower so when you're hooking these things they're just tail walking all the way out into the you got it nick that's a perfect scenario that's pretty cool i mean that's uh, the damselfly game at lake davis is is right up there with any kind of fly fishing that that it, is just it's been hurt the, a little bit though over the last couple of years so check it, it out been, i'm on that lake a lot and the last four years has been in decline right and i finally met with a biologist last year from Department of Fish and Wildlife. And basically they've been putting in more fingerlings than catchables hmm. because people were complaining about the copepods that showed up right after the second treatment. What's a copepod? <laughs> a copepod looks like a pimple on the side of a trout. Oh. Mm. Um, you'll get more copepods on smaller fish because they run in pods together and they rub up against each other. Okay. The bigger fish are more loners, so they don't have as many. But getting back to my, my um, thing about Lake Davis here, so they're putting in all these fingerlings and not enough catchables. Well, in the last three years, the largemouth bass population went through the roof. Wow. Because they were eating all the they're fingerlings. Yeah. Wow. And it's out of control right now. I mean, I camped up there all summer. You walk the shoreline, there's minnows everywhere. So there's not a lot of population of trout in the lake. Hmm. But they're... Big, big, really big. <laughs> Chasing minnows down. Two weeks ago, someone got an eight pounder at Mallard Cove on bait. Oh, cool. Wow. So tell our listeners a little bit about the history of uh, Davis, because obviously there was a um, big controversy of these Northern Pike that kind of somebody put in there a little while back and then department of fish and game was coming in and poisoning it. And you probably know the story better, but people were threatening department of fishing game. If they did that, that they were going to keep, I heard stories of flying the fish in and dropping them out of a plane or some crazy, I don't know, something crazy. Like yeah, that. I was, I was up there. It was a circus. Um, <laughs> I actually, I actually know who, who did it, that they pretty much ran him out to another state. Um, the guy pretty much wanted to start a pike fishery in Lake Davis. Um, they couldn't get him on that, but they got him on nine counts of deer poaching and illegally guiding. Wow. Um, guy sounds like a great winner. Uh, yeah. He is a winner. And then, uh, it's right up. There so the, the first treatment, there was a lot of, you know, conspiracy theories and, you know, like a war against department of fish and wildlife. Um, and then they got through the first poisoning and then they put like a gazillion trout in the lake and it was so good. You guys, you just had to hit the water <laughs> like the fall afterwards. My dad and I, and Jim Maloney, we fished two days. My dad didn't fish that much. He was around the campfire a lot. We caught and released 162 fish wow. Damn. in two days. So the, the main concern with those pike is that they were going to get down into the you know lower tributaries and, and valley rivers. And wipe out the steelhead and the salmon. Fish exactly. Did they, did they get rid of all the pike? No. No. So for the next 10 years, they tried 
a lot of band-aid attempts. Didn't to, they blow up spawning beds and they stuff? They blew like up that? spawning beds. They had they had this carp they had this Damn, carp guy out in a boat. Zone. It's like a shock and awe campaign. <laughs> <laughs> they had this carp guy come out in a boat from Nevada and he had these big gill nets. And uh, he would set him up and he would bang this baseball bat and drive his boat around and try to herd the pike <laughs> into the net. Um, what else did they do? They, they put brown trout in the lake and I caught a four pounder one year. That was kind of cool. Um, never, not, there was never the, browns in there before the, that. The rationale would be that the mm-hmm. browns would eat the pike minnows? Yeah. Okay. Nothing really worked. And so they had to treat it again in, in 2007. Just grab one of these 45 pound sack stripers, let it go in there. Yeah. And it'll do its thing. Like Pac-Man. I'm for it. So they're still in there? No. They got rid of them after 08. They, so because, how did they do it? Because they did a, a more effective treatment. They the, did it when the water wasn't so cold. They went further up. That was up. the problem the first time they yes, did it. Yes, it was. Right, and I they went that. further up the tributaries. Now you got these people saying, oh, there's pikes still in there. And I've seen them. And I don't believe it because someone would catch one. Someone would and, and report it. Mm-hmm. Probably a big squawfish or something like that. There's squaw. There's squawfish in there. I don't know if there's squawfish in there. Hmm. So when they when they um, got rid of you said 2008 they got rid of all the pike. Yeah. So did they they poison them all? Does yes. it kill the entire lake again? It kills everything. All the aquatic insects. Oh my God. All life, but they don't put in a high enough concentration to kill the bass or the catfish. Those guys make it. But any trout. Done. Done. So did they restock after 2008 with yeah. a whole nother slew of trout? And- Eagle Lake rainbows, or do you know what they put in there? Um, Eagle Lake and Shasta, tra- uh, Shasta strain, excuse me. Um, hmm. Those both Davis and Frenchman are managed as a put and take fishery. Okay. It sucks, but that's just the way it is. But it's been nine. It shouldn't be in your opinion. I think the limit should be two, five. Five trout when they're all like 20 inches? Yeah. Come on. And the, and the you know, they're, the, ten, 10 in possession? So the average size in there is like 20 inches? 18 to 20, yeah. Wow. A lot of food in that lake. Huge biomass. And are, are you guys, you're catching them mostly off the shore? That's how I like to play the game. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of times you, you got to go out in your boat or a float tube. Mm-hmm. And that's really effective. Um, First couple of weeks of June, is that kind of the... End of May, Sweet June. Yeah, for- but before we go any further on Lake Davis, so <laughs> it's been so bad. I switched every trip this year over to Frenchman Lake. Wow. Hmm. Because of that last four-year decline. Yeah, in and we had a really good time at Frenchman. They're not as big as fish. But a lot of them. A lot of them, yeah. and they're pure Eagle Lake strain rainbows. There's so nothing else in there. Real screaming, ripping your – yeah. And are those – are those natives or are those all plant? They're they're all planted just like okay. Davis. Okay. So it's also a put and take fishery. Okay. But the biologist that manages both lakes said, I'm not gonna screw with Frenchman's. It's perfect right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So the only problem at Frenchman's is once it starts getting really warm, you get the water ski crowd from Reno. But they'll stay out of that very, very north end of the lake where Little Last Chance Creek comes in. And that's kind of like the hub for the fly anglers in June. Oh, cool. The water's cold and water's they just still all cold. Stack up in there. Um, your shore fishing's not so good then. You don't want to be in a tube or a boat. Mm-hmm. Unlike fall, where they're right on the bank. Mm-hmm. We should get those biologists in here, talk to them a little bit. Yeah. That'd be a good, good podcast. I, I got yeah. a name for you. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's um, that's a cool lake. I, I 
I just I always enjoy listening to Jay Fair talk about talk about trout and lake fishing. He was and so awesome. He's like, like I'll tell you, son, trout don't have eyelids. <laughs> when they want to go to eat, where do you go to eat? You go to the grocery store. <laughs> he was just like that, you know. Like he, he just broke it down. In Super simple, simple, charming simple man. Yeah. Um, if some of your readers or listeners, excuse me, um, last year I did an article on Jay Fair, and it turned out really well because I worked with um, his family in getting the real correct info, and then I kind of mm-hmm. threw in what Jay taught me, and he basically, uh, uh, before I get into that. My dad and him got all the access areas open around Lake Davis in the 70s. Oh, wow. They worked together because my dad had a really uh, good way of getting in with the Forest Service. So then when I started guiding, he actually took me under his wing. He said, John, I want to show you Lake Davis. (laughs) And he taught me everything. That's a great thing. It sounded like Jay Fair was in here talking with us. (laughs) That was awesome. (laughs) Long leader. Floating line, long leader, floating lines. That's, my, what, I, that's my, what I loved about his technique. Yeah, it was, just, it was a fun way to fish. And, and he, he'd say so this, he'd like be all slow little slow hand retrieve. Yeah. Okay. John, if I have to put on an intermediate line, I don't want to go fishing. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, he and and he just knew so much about you know the way that the well with Eagle Lake the scuds you know you know, perform what they did in the lake and then how colors worked as far as depth goes in a lake and which ones stand out the most. Yeah. That's and, a sad story. Eagle Lake. I mean, right. I guided up there and, and you know, when the water level started dropping and all the tule reeds went dry and all the scud beds were dry. I had trips where I had two days and we'd get like one fish or like mm-hmm. one hit. And it's like, I can't do this. Have you been there this year yet? I haven't. We want to go there. Just check it out. I, I want to go too. I heard there's still what's the word on the street? <laughs> I heard there's water in there, which is good. Yeah, it came up a little bit this year. Huh? Yep. Um, but I think you're. I think like everything else, we've just lost a lot of habitat and and food. Yeah. And the trout have suffered and steelhead and everything. So we just need a, a little bit more rain than for consecutive yeah. years to bring everything back. But um, it's f- best eating trout. Oh man, you got it right, Nick. Yeah, best eating trout that's out there. It is, and what you I like to do like shrimp or something. Well, the shrimp. No, is it's with... flaming orange meat. Yeah. But what I like to do is flay them out, debone them, take the skin off, and then I'll put them in flour, egg, panko, and pan fry them in bacon grease. Whoa! Everything's mm. gonna yeah, taste good when you bacon do that. Grease? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you're talking. Have you ever uh, you seen Chef's Table? You ever watched that? No, on I Netflix? haven't. Netflix. Francis Milan would be mad at you if you did if you did that to a trout. He'd be pretty upset. Really? Yeah, yeah. He, his technique was pretty cool. He'd take clay from in the local Patagonia Lake and actually cocoon this trout within it. Wow! And then stick that in the coals of the fire, and and he'd just be dumping a bunch of lemon inside of it, a little bit of butter, and he basically cooked this thing in a like, in a boat. Yeah. Yeah, clay, mm. and um, that's kind of cool. And he he eat most of his stuff raw. He you know he even a trout. He wanted that. Mm. He said he'd ruin a trout if you overcook it. I don't know about it, that. What were I, those things called? Uh, those little. Well, I'm into wart, smoking wart fish. things. You were talking yeah, about copepods. Yeah, that, yeah <laughs> I don't think I want to eat raw copepods. <laughs> Ew! Right, right. That's gross. <laughs> Yeah, the um, smoking in Eagle Lake trout. That's this is like smoked Alaskan salmon. I mean, you could put the two together. Almost. Yeah, you They're, could. Mm, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, we'll have to go. We should maybe make a date of that. We'll go, um, okay. go fish Eagle Lake or something. 
Got to hurry up. There's only a couple weeks left. I know. I know. TikTok. So, hey, so smaller trips. I know you uh, you, you occasionally guide the Jameson Creek, uh, Fraser Creek, and Great Eagle Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't heard of any of those. What area, What generally where are they located? The Great Eagle area. Okay. And I'm not... I don't know where that is either. Um, so Gray Eagle is basically an hour north of Truckee on 89. Okay. It's Lots about of, a lot of golf courses. 35 minutes oh, east I've, of Quincy. I've actually driven 70. through there because I was, I did a day, I did a two day whirlwind tour of McLeod river and then I would mm. fish Truckee the next day. So we actually drove through there. So I know it's exactly the, where you're talking so about. So you took now. 89 all the way. Yes, sir. Yep. We call that the trout route. Okay. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. There's, some killer water in there. Yeah. Um, and getting I back to a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. Getting back to the creeks. Um, yeah. They're all freestone and they're good when the water drops, let's say in middle of June, lots of small wild rainbows, dry fly fishing. Um, if your listeners are interested, Lance Gray uh, and I are doing two creek tours on those creeks this summer in July. You can find out more about it on Lance's website or you can go to my blog. I would say by, by spring, I'll be announcing it. Cool. Pretty well, cool. What, what's Lance's website? We're going to plug all your stuff at the end it's of this It's Lance episode. Gray and Company. Okay. Where does he live? Willows. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want to hear more Jay Fair stories. Um, <laughs> okay, so... So, uh, so do a lot of maybe our listeners. One, one, one time he took, my dad and, he took my dad and I out for free, and um, which was really special. And um, kind of getting towards the end of the day, I'm like, I'm like, Jay... Do do trout sleep? And his response was, John, do you know of any other animal that does not sleep on this earth? <laughs> and I said, no, Jay. He's all, I want to show you something. <laughs> so he brought me into the Thule reeds, and he's going really slow, but he's going in with his tiller first, not the bow of the boat, because he says that scares the trout. And then lo and behold, there's this like 22-inch rainbow with its head right in the reeds about two inches below the water. Whoa. And he says, there's one sleeping right now. (laughs) (laughs) And he takes his rod and he pokes it and the thing wakes up and and puts on the afterburners and takes off out in the middle of the lake. Whoa. That's crazy. (laughs) He always always broke things down like that. He kind of compared it to to people. He's the best, man. (laughs) So John's got another Jay Fair story. Here we go. All right, so... um, when I first started fishing Eagle Lake and, and he is really the one that um, showed me how to fish it along with Jim Maloney. Jim was the guy that, that showed me Eagle Lake and, and how to fish it. But um, that same day with Jay that I went out with my dad, um, I was fishing and he was right next to me and there was a, a breeze coming in on my left. And so I had a little bit of a bow in my line and I'm stripping and I'm not feeling anything. And he gets close to my ear and says, John, you just missed a five-pound rainbow. <laughs> I said, Jay, how do you know that? He all, because I'm watching your line. And he explained to me that my line was tightening up and getting a smaller transition, meaning that the trout actually had the fly in its mouth, but I couldn't feel it. Mm-hmm. And before I did detect it, the trout blew out the fly. So he's really conscious of watching his fly line 
all the time. Making sure it's just direct, right? And it's not, hasn't have a slight bend in no, it. No, or... sometimes he's looking for that bend uh, because that can tell you if a fish is on there. If it, if it seems like it's stretching out or lowering in depth, right. just anything that's out of characteristic. That's when you want to set the hook. Yeah, that, that same that same stuff you just described applies to high sticking. And when you're, oh, looking totally. at, when you're looking at that cider, right? Yeah. Yeah. And just like high sticking, I think when you really get in tune with it, it's like zen. You just know when mm-hmm. to set the hook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it's just like lift and the fish is there. Mm-hmm. Use the force. That's right. Use the force. Coming up. Do or do not, there is no try. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we, uh, it's coming. Star Wars is, I can't wait, man. Hey, here's here's some Chico trivia. So I was here the first night of Star Wars when it played at the El Rey. Um, In 1955. I'm just kidding. 76. 76. (laughs) When Empire, when, when the Empire Strikes Back came out, I was at the El Rey at 12 p.m., in the middle of the day, first in line, and I waited till those doors opened. OG geek. <laughs> Me and my friends, awesome. super from Ed. Yeah, that's awesome. It was pretty cool. I'm I'm probably gonna wear my Star Star Wars onesie. <laughs> my <laughs> wife and I have matching ones. Nick's seen them. They're pretty cool. Right on. Yeah, it's um, going back to the that lake fishing. I when the shark skin came out, I was fishing that as you know long leader dry mm-hmm. fly line, and I I hated it. I was like, this is the worst. I it was. It just was floating too well. It was just moving weird on the water. There was no drag. And I tried a different fly line, and all of a sudden I had way more direct contact with that fly. And that was the day. I remember that day I was on the, by the Norfolk where it comes in on Lake Almanor. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm long leader. I'm using the J-Fair method. I made two casts and caught two just like 23, 22-inch rainbows. It was That's awesome. You just made it. So, your hands made it look like a 30-inch. <laughs> I, I know you guys are going to be coming out with a new leader mm-hmm. um, website leader, leader, or interactive for leader website. Formulas, yeah. So I have one right now for a long leader in still waters. Oh. It's really simple. Off your fly line with a nail knot or loop-to-loop, whatever you prefer, you want to run anywhere from three to five feet of 0.024 butt material. That's about 30 or 40 pound depend, depending on the manufacturer. From there, you simply tie on a nine foot tapered leader to whatever X, three X or four X. Mm-hmm. That way your leader will turn over when you have that, that long. Especially if you're fishing a lake, which sense. is usually windy. You gotta have to. Right, yeah. and then so many people just tie on more tippet Right. And they wonder why it all piles up at the end of their cast, mm-hmm. and sure. that's why. No, that's a good tip. That's so really when you tip. when you connect that um, that first butt section up to the nail knot to the the fly line, and the second tie in to the to the the other the tapered leader, are you doing just a blood knot? Yeah, I'm doing a blood yeah, knot. Yeah, okay. I have a feeling John doesn't fish very many tapered leaders. I think he ties a lot of his own. No, no, no. Being being a Rio ambassador, I use uh, lots of their. Uh, <laughs> Because I know I know some really good dry fly anglers, and they're they always they they tie their own leaders. Yeah, I prefer. I tell you what, what. Okay, I'll start off with a stock leader, but I'll keep it for like weeks because I'm always just adding, adding stuff. Yeah. And by the time I'm done, Nick, it's a, a custom leader. Right, right. Are you a tippet ring guy? Um, I'm a tippet ring guy for like the North Fork for like mm-hmm. my seven and a half foot leaders, and I'm just adding on tippet. Um, 
for my high stick rig. I'm kind of a freak show. I know a lot of guys. That was my next question. I wanted you to break down your your high, your uh, your check or your high stick. Okay, rig. so I'll, okay, let's let's go through that right now. Okay, let's get right up in there. Let's do it. Um, let's get dirty. So off, off the fly line, <laughs> off the fly line. I like to dedicate. Um, you know, my rig, I'm going to do a nail knot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. for, for your recreational guy, he's going to go loop to loop, which is fine. But I go a nail knot and I'll go... UV knot sense? Yeah, to make it smoother, sure. No right. knot sense. Right. Um, he's a no knot sense kind of guy. <laughs> three to five feet of uh, 20 pound. Yeah, yeah. A two foot slider of Rio two-tone mm, yeah. tippet. Sounds familiar so far, yeah. Six feet of 10 pound fluoro. Yeah. Number 14 swivel. Okay, twelve inches to the first fly, twelve inches to the second fly. Do our our leader formula is almost identical, except I use a tippet ring. Okay, on where you have your swivel. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's the same exact pound. I think you're gonna have better luck with the Crazy. swivel system, like he's doing. Yeah, it's just uh, every time I get that ring, or if I'm using a surgeon's knot or whatever it is, I'm getting that thing wound up. I've never constantly. used the ring, so I wouldn't know. I haven't had that problem, really? but I use, um, I use three tippet rings in my, wow. my system. Are you using the one George Revel had on the Lost Coast Outfitters blog post? No, I kind of came up with it myself okay. this year, actually just evolving it off of McLeod and then here and then, yeah. So it's kind of been this evolution. Man, the McLeod River. I love it. That's holy water. I love it. I used to go up there all the time um, before I got really busy, you know, pre-2008. And I would go every year in late October and stay for a week and just fish only dries the October caddis. Oh, cool. And had just great days. Sometimes I'd go in the closure because that's my birthday's on November 15th. So that's always a good time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a great, you can have some epic epic days there and you can get your ass handed to you also. You have, any, a few of both. you have any good guide stories uh, for our listeners, whether they were bad or, or good? or? Oh, yeah. There's so many. I Maybe one will pop into my head right now, but I'll tell you this. I don't get bad clients. In fact, yeah. I call them my guest. Yeah. And I think it's just the way that that I promote myself or, or that, that I look like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just get a lot of down-to-earth people that are just right. all about being outdoors, being in nature. It's... It's not about the size of the fish, mm-hmm. you know, more about the experience. Um, but, okay, here's kind of a, a recent story. So <laughs> a lot of men won't listen to me when it comes to their casting. I've always said Women this. just Women, totally yep. listen to me and they dial it in. Yep. They use timing and finesse, right? They were always the best fisher women out of the group. Right, and the guy's really just like, I can way. do that. My, my, my way. My, my wife has been just just a stick on fish in the last last four times That's I've taken awesome. her out. Yeah, and she started out on Deer Creek. I, I call Deer Creek when shooting free throws because it's like, you know, you go there, you, you practice your hook set and all that. When you get that down, then you can pretty much go anywhere, you know. And um, she's been slamming them, so I, I agree. Women so, just... You had a couple that you took out, yeah. and that was the case. The I've had more than one couple. It happens all the time. And she's out fishing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. I think too. They have they just have better mojo, right? You know, they're I like they're thinking good up. thoughts all the time, and and yeah. they're I don't know if the fish can feel that or not, Nick. <laughs> but for whatever reason, no. If I took 
stats from working at the fly shop for 10 years, that was that was a given. Every time a couple came back from wherever it was, the Bahamas or Mexico or the woman always caught the biggest fish every time. And then I think ego, the I think ego and and your ability to take instruction kind of go hand in hand, yeah. right? The the higher the ego, the lower the ability to take. So I had I had a few guys, men that wouldn't list to me fishing stillwaters this year. And they would go too far back on their back cast. And the fly and the leaders hitting the dirt every time. And they're losing flies that that I tie. That takes me a while to tie. Mm-hmm. So I'll be really honest. Like after the fourth or fifth one, I'm tying on crap flies. <laughs> it's like, okay, they'll <laughs> catch a fish. They're, they're, yeah. they're not the best, but they'll catch a fish. But I'm not putting on my prize flies yeah. for you just to whip off. Yeah, I, I, I fished with uh, Frank Hastings late last year. And we it was on the lower sack. And, and I, I snagged up somewhere, broke off. He's like gotta be careful man those are cheeseburgers and i'm like what because that's that thing costs as much as a cheeseburger you gotta be careful i'm like yeah that makes, i got it you put it in those terms though and you're like i don't want to lose a cheeseburger yeah it's yeah. pretty funny yeah no it's um i think that for all our listeners out there at least the men if, if you just take the ego out of it you know and Listen to your guide, and you're going to catch more fish. That yeah, comes I mean, down if, you're, if you're paying to be out there and learn, right. you should probably leave the ego in the car. <laughs> yeah, and just have fun. Yeah. Where do you think the industry is going in the next five to ten years? I, you, I say that because I see a lot of women getting into the sport. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> but, um, I can't believe how big it's blowing up with women right now. Yeah, and there's finally and, and some I'm, products. And I'm really happy, and I'm stoked. It's really good for the industry. All right. But... To see a gal that's only been involved for a couple of years just skyrocket and have like just this huge cult following and right. in no time, you know, is going to be a very, very wealthy and knowledgeable and popular guide. It just mm-hmm. blows me away for, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going on my 21st year guiding right now and it's just maybe in the last 10 that I think I've really, you know, got above water as far as breathing room <laughs> you know it's like this is all i do now so um in five or ten years i just i see it getting more specialized mm-hmm. and i really i don't think there's going to be like the whole fad thing with the river runs through it i think when people get into this and they 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 get into the whole nature aspect right it's hard to let go yeah mm-hmm. and for those that have children it's the natural progression to get mm-hmm. kids back in the nature because it's all, it's too techno right now. I mean, when I grew up in paradise, that's what we did. We fly fished and we yeah. did hikes and stuff. There was, there wasn't the whole computer thing. That's interesting. I, I, I see the same thing. I see the same thing. And I, I hope that, I hope that technology and this uh, teamwork aspect comes together for every, you know between the farmers, the people, the anglers, and we start making our ecosystems and our rivers healthier. With this, oh, many, that's, with this many people coming out, I mean, it just it has to happen. I have it a saying right now. It's called this. It's called now or never. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. at that breaking point with our fisheries. Right. Yeah, we're seeing it firsthand. Right. Oh now. yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing with the fly fishing industry is, man, guides right now are super saturated. Yeah. I mean, you've got a lot of young, very, um, knowledgeable. They're, they're, they're great anglers, but they're just getting into the scene. 
And my biggest advice for him is don't quit your day job. Right. Um, and, and go work for someone in Alaska for a couple of years and, and learn how to teach people guiding. It's not about you that you can catch yeah. fish. It's about how to teach people. Yeah. A lot of that's gone like right with social media, you know, and yeah. showing off the, like, trying to get all those likes that you, you could go into a lot of depth about this. Chat, oh, sure. Just feeling that dopamine kick, you know, of likes. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's going to, that's having an effect on, on friendships and guides that are out there yeah. and, and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Chad, I don't know if you've noticed, like, I'm not a big guy. Like I don't want to post just big fish pics all the time. I'd rather do a little bit of, you know, lifestyle shots, the flora and the fauna and flies. And, and you do those pull those pull quotes that you do are pretty cool. You know, where you have a nice you have a nice shot. It's a wide shot of, of the river and then you've got some quote that you've you've oh, that's pulled out of, my, of a magazine or whatever and it's just kinda cool. Some of came like, up with my own. That's yeah. my little campaign lately. Yeah, I mean like, out of your magazine articles that you've written. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. like kind of the daily chicken soup for the soul kind yeah. of thing, you know. It's it's cool. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a great feed. Yeah. Well, um, how can our listeners book a trip with you? Okay, the easiest way is to do this: just Google up John J O N Biaki, B A I O C C H I, fly fishing. When you do that, my blog's going to come up. My website's going to come up. Numerous articles I've written are going to come up, like at least seven or eight pages of John Biaki are going to show up. Cool. So somewhere with those links on there, you should be able to find how to book a trip with me. Chad okay. and I are going to book a trip with you uh, this next year. Cool. Yeah. And before we let you go, do you have any more Jay Fair stories for our <laughs> listeners? <laughs> no. Yes, I do. Nice. Let's hear it. Um, let's see. So... After I got out of the snowboarding gig, um, I came back to caretake for my dad in 97, and uh, he took me to the uh, FFF, Northern California Council Conclave um, that was at Kings Beach. Actually, that was 95. That was actually before I moved here, or, or moved back, I should say. And Jay Fair was there tying flies. And uh, I sat down with him and introduced myself. And he's like, oh, yeah, John, I I know your dad real well. We got all the access areas open up at Lake Davis, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> I love when you do his voice because you squint your eyes shut. It's so <laughs> That's funny. what he would do. That's he what he would do. Yeah, he couldn't. Yeah, he figured. So um, I sat there and, and watched him tie. And he was just such a simple tire. And, and uh you know, I would ask questions like um, in Colorado, like we had this fly called the Pistol Pete, and it actually has a little propeller on the tip with a bead head. And the things are oh. deadly, man. Like, I'll, I'll let the secret out. That's like my secret on the Truckee River for a streamer. Oh, you put a little, just, you put a little propeller in the front. Yeah, black. Huh? So black. it's like a, it's like a just an attractor. You, or does it, it make noise? It must be a generational thing. Or I don't know. A Chico it Flash up or Ch- Larry's all about that. Oh, he's into the pistol. Pete. Oh, he loves that thing. Yeah, uh, he loves it. Big John was too. Really? Yeah. So, anyways, I'm watching Jay tie flies, and and he's um, he just has these these like one liner sayings. Like one of them is uh. Stocked rainbows cannot resist the color gold. <laughs> uh, the other one was he, he had this glister material and uh, it's, it's called ice dubbing now, but he was way ahead of his time. And he's like, 
It shimmers. It shines. It glows. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I think it's more than trout. I think. I mean, even striper like that gold. Yeah. I think. I think it's just gold is gold. You know. So he would. Uh, anyways, he's tying, and there was other people around. In fact, I remember one guy. Um, I was actually sitting there for quite a long guy, and one guy kind of nudged me and said, "How about giving us a shot at talking to him?" <laughs> and because uh, I was just so mesmerized by yeah. Jay, and he's you know. He was like Yoda to me. And um, so he gets done tying this fly and it looks like complete crap. <laughs> and he takes it out of the vice and he's all, there's your fly, John. Just get it in front of him. <laughs> and he like walks off and goes outside somewhere. <laughs> and that was Jay. That's awesome. He was, I was just a young, young kid in that shop and he, you know, I'm running around, like laying down extension cords, and he, he stopped and looked right at me, and he's like, hey, son, my name's Jay Fair, and like just introduced himself and started talking to me. He was just, he was so cool. He he loved sharing that passion of his yeah. and getting other kids into the sport, and it was, it was pretty neat. Um, I always, every time he was around in the fly shop, I'd... I tried to stop what I was doing and, yeah, that's, and listen to them, what he had to say. With Jay and my, my dad's whole attitude, that's what I'm carrying on the, the legacy of is just mm-hmm. sharing the passion and, and the knowledge. Yeah. And, you know? Hey, John, you said you had an article that you wrote about him. Yeah. Was it last year in the Fly Fisher magazine. Is that right? I'm pretty sure it's December, California Fly Fisher, and it's really good. Like, it's cool. a collectible. Okay. Because I worked with the family, and it it's, it's the authenticity is very, very good. Sweet. Good. Yeah. All right, we'll check it out. Well, well, thank you very, yeah, very thanks much a lot, man, for, for coming on. Yeah, and driving. You guys up are Chico. so welcome. I really enjoyed myself here, and I, cool. I hope to be back someday. We'll for have sure. You on. I'm gonna get cool. Blucky back in here with you, so okay. you guys can tell some some yeah, stories. Little okay. tag tag team. Maybe Jim Maloney, if he's open to it. I, I don't think so. He he's he's pretty. Mm. You know, we don't hush, talk hush about, about spots or flies. He, he might come on. <laughs> we, we promise. <laughs> the propeller will stay. Pistol Pete. <laughs> Awesome. Thanks. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back next week. Nick, do you have anything else to say? Fish on. Fish on. Fish Fish on. Okay. This podcast would not be possible without support from our sponsors, Fish Bio and Amped Up Build. Fish Bio is a consulting firm that offers a fresh approach to fishery science. They specialize in fish research, monitoring, and conservation with innovative uses of technology and communication. From their offices in Chico, Oakdale, and Santa Cruz, California, to Vienchen, Laos, Fish Bio is committed to solving natural resource challenges locally and globally. Learn more at www.fishbio.com. And Amp.Bill. Amp is a software design and engineering shop located in Chico, California. Amp creates beautiful apps for mobile and desktop devices, wearables, and the Internet of Things. Amp develops native, web, and hybrid apps on a variety of platforms. Chad, who co-hosts this podcast, is the agency's founder. Learn more at www.amp.bill.